Welcome to the Vintage Church Podcast. My name is Matt, and I'm the lead pastor at Vintage Church. We're so grateful that you would take time to lean into a teaching from one of our weekend worship gatherings. Each week, one of our pastors opens the Word of God with a relevant message in the hopes that you are inspired to live and love like Jesus. We invite you now to open your heart and mind and lean into the Word of God. If you want to open your Bible, if you've got one with you, go ahead and go I guess to the book of Acts, because that's where we're going to get eventually and where we're probably going to finish our time. I say probably because it's just one of those days where all week I've stared at my computer and my journal and trying to figure out what to write down and what God wanted me to say and wrestled with him. Because maybe if today's your first day at Venice Church, hey, glad you're here. My name's Matt. If you're watching this online, we're glad you're here as well. And we're doing a series that we do every single year, somewhere around this time. And it's become known as Live Love, and it's rooted in the phrase that's written on the wall in the lobby. If you're in the room, you saw it when you came in. And this series is much more than a series for most of us. It's a marker. It's a reminder that God has done really cool things and that we're still here. And every time we get here, it's, it's like for us, this is, this is kind of an anniversary for me of, of making it through another year and being reminded that only God, because we're not supposed to be here. If you didn't know, we're, we're a church plant that officially launched in February of 2009, but it was in September of 2008 that a small group of us, I kind of quit looking at y'all because I'm going to cry. Um, that's Preston and Wendy Steele, and they were part of the first few. Now they lead our student ministry, and God, I cry too much, don't I? I cry too much. I know I do. Ah, a group of us just started meeting at Southern Guilford Middle School over in Greensboro, just believing that God wanted to create an expression of church, not because there weren't enough churches, but just because we felt led to be a part of something, maybe that was a little bit different. And two out of every three church plants never make it to year three. And we're at year 15 and looking at what God has done and all that's happened. And I walk into this building this morning and there's a couple of things about life that are universally true, a couple of realities. Number one, you can never get to where you hope to be without being honest about where you are. Did, did you know that? Like, somebody needs to write that down because that's, this, this is universally true. You can never get to where you hope to be unless you're honest about where you are. And it's true about any area of your life. If you want your marriage to be healthy, you gotta be honest about where you are in the moment and there may be some things need to, need to change. If you want your, your business to, to grow or to be more profitable, if you, want, if you hope for it to be there, then you have to be honest about where you are in the moment. It's true about any, if physically you want to get more fit, you have to acknowledge what the mirror's saying. This just, there's just realities of life. And so I look at our church and I see all that God has done and I see all that it still could be all the things that God still wants to do in and through our church. And, I, and look at me, that vision is never about numbers for me. 
Anybody who's close to me, any of our staff will tell you, this has never been about numbers. This has never been about how many. Because a church, you cannot measure the effectiveness and beauty and power of a church simply by the number of people who show up to it. That's not, that's a superficial, shallow way to measure. And there's been a lot of movements throughout history that drew a lot of people that were anything but God honoring. But that's not it. It's about being the church in the community. And are we being the church as best we can be the church in the community in which God has put us? And I see all that we've done and I still believe there can be, be more But here's another thing that's true. Sometimes you get so fixated on where you want to be, you forget how far you've come to get where you are. You get so fixated about where you want to be, you get so fixated about how far you still need to go that you forget how far you've come. And so you need to look back. Because if you, sometimes you need to look back and see where you were to appreciate where you are and find the contentment and peace in your heart to center yourself and move forward. Then maybe the, 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 the pathway to the future is through the past. The past gets a bad rap sometimes because the past, I taught this to our church, the past is a weird construct. Hold on to it too long, it will cripple you. Let go of it too soon, you learn nothing and you make mistakes all over again. And so live love is part looking back, part looking forward. And this morning I came in and stood right over there, just inside those doors, I'm just looking around this room. And what I know is there's a lot of y'all in here, you don't know our church outside of this building. You don't know the joy that was set up and tear down. You don't know the small beginnings that this place had. You didn't see it when it was 12 people in a living room with no money, literally no money, no resources, no place to meet just a group of people in my parents' basement gathered around a table, dreaming and praying. You don't even know that it really started in 2006. Ashley and I were pastor and we were, I was a youth pastor, this little country church. Welcome Wesleyan Church. Welcome, great name for a church. By that time, I had been on staff there, been a full-time ministry for seven years, eight years. And I found myself in a funk. And that's not unusual for me. You may not hear about your, this about your pastor. I'm all over the place. If you didn't, like I'm telling y'all anything new. Some of y'all are first time like, where are we? Why'd you bring me here? I'm all over. I'm the emotional one. I'm the crier. And it's a good thing. Like my, my wife is not that. My, she, you've heard, she is consistent. I could go home today. Babe, the house burned down. Okay. Babe, we won $800 million. Okay. Like the same answer, same response from who she is. And it's a good thing because she keeps me even keel. And I'm so grateful for the woman that I get to call my wife. But I was just in this weird place. 
and I was struggling with my calling. I'm a pastor's kid. My dad pastored churches for over four decades. And you know what they say about pastor's kids, right? We're all perfect angels. That's what they say. (laughs) But from the time I was young, I don't know, 10, 11, 12 years old, everybody was talking to me, treating me, telling me, you're going to be a pastor just like your dad. You're going to be a pastor just like your dad. You're going to be a pastor just like your dad. And, 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 And I hated it. There was a lot of reasons why, because even at 10, 11, 12 years old, my dad pastored churches that, I don't know if y'all know this, but some churches got mean people in it. Matter of fact, you've heard me say before, today, the meanest people on the planet are probably sitting in a church somewhere. I see some heads going, amen, I've seen that, been there, yep, or maybe that was even me at one time and God's changed your life. But I I didn't want to be that, but I heard that my whole life and I don't have time to get into all the story, but eventually I said yes, but I was sitting in my office at Welcome Wesleyan Church in Seneca, South Carolina in 2006, and I used the word office loosely. It was literally a closet. The day, my first day full-time there, I spent most of the day pulling out uh, fake flower fixtures from that room so I could have room to put a desk in it. Literally, the, it, the door, I had to get like, do like this to get in the door. Like, it wasn't even a real door. I had to take the boxes of the desk in to there because if I put the desk together outside the office, I'd have never got it through the little tiny door. (laughs) And I was in that space where I began to wonder if God really called me to this. God, did you really call me to this or did I let people push me into this? Like, was that, is this really what you wanted for me? Or is this what everybody else wanted for me? And I finally just gave up and surrendered to it. And that's still, that's still something, if I'm honest, I, I wonder yesterday. <laughs> Did you really want this for my life? Am I really serving as a pastor because you called me to it? Or did I let people talk me into it? Because from the time I was a child, I had been, you're a pastor, you're going to be a pastor, and that kind of stuff. And, and I can honestly say my entire life, I've questioned my calling, but I've never questioned God's existence and goodness in my life. I've never doubted for a moment that this word is where I can find hope and strength and wisdom. And in any season of my life, when I feel confusion, when I feel uncertainty, when I feel like I, I need answers, this is the place I run, and I would suggest it's the place you run to as well. Because there's a lot of noise in this world, y'all. And there's a lot of places that want to put things into your heart and mind that will lead you down a path that will not end in the destination that you desire. When you're uncertain, when you're unsure, when you're insecure, when you lack direct direction, run to the word of God. Run to the word of God. It is the only place you'll find hope and strength. And I, started read, I first started reading the Gospel of Matthew looking at the life of Jesus. And as you come to the close of the gospel of Matthew, you find what's known as the Great Commission. Do you remember it? Have you ever heard it? It's Matthew 28. I'm gonna read it. Matthew 28, verse 16. This is on the other side of the empty tomb. The resurrection has occurred, and for 40 days, Jesus hung out with them some more. And now it was time for him to ascend back to the Father, and he gathers them on this mountain for for one last thing, one last time together to speak into their lives. 
And part of what he says on that day is this, Matthew 28, verse 16. The 11 disciples, because remember Judas had unfortunately already taken his own life. The 11 disciples traveled to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had directed them. When they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. That still boggles my mind. That they were all in the presence of the risen Jesus in flesh, and there were some like, y'all think that's really Jesus? I don't know. It says in verse 18, Jesus came near. He got close. It says he came near to them. He said, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you, and remember I am with you always to the end of the age. And in that moment, the people of God, the first to follow, they got their assignment. They were given their mission. That Jesus says, for the last three and a half years, you've seen me up close. You've seen the way that I have lived among you. And in, in me, God has shown you what it's like to really live as a human on this planet. That sin broke that concept in the life of humanity. But in me, that I'm, I modeled what it's like. Jesus says, I modeled for you and to you what it really means to live on this planet. To live in perfect relationship with the Father. To live in intimacy with him. To live on purpose for the one who created you. And you've seen how I loved, how my love was not reserved for one group of people or one space or people who were perfect. It was there for everybody, and I walked in that love. And I have shown you the full extent of my love as I washed your feet and died for your sins. And now your job as I leave this place is to take all of that and go live it out in the world in which you live and bring more people to understand what this new life in Christ is supposed to be. That's what you're supposed to do. That's your mission. And then I read that, God reminded me that no matter what I did for a living, no matter that my paycheck and my purpose might not always be connected, and that whether I was a pastor or whether I was saying, welcome to Walmart, that no matter what I did with my life, that my mission was unchanging. And so there was, there was a calm that washed over me. It's like, man, man, it, it's, it's, it's not about the position. Like you, you have the same purpose no matter your position. As a follower of Jesus, that's your job. That's your goal. That's, your, that's why you're on this planet. I don't know if you know this, but you and me, we have the same mission. I just accomplish it through a different means than you do every day. That we have the same calling. Somebody needs to say amen. Let me know y'all listening to me today. That we have the same, we all have the same calling. I do it through this platform, but you do it through the platform of a classroom or an office building or a doctor's office or whatever it is that you do spending most of your day. We all have the same, and a peace washed over me. Of no matter what, it, like it doesn't matter. Almost to say, and you know what, Matt, if you, if you, if you leave pastoring tomorrow, it, it's going to change some things, but it shouldn't change most things. 
You're still called to tell people about Jesus. The question is, will you do it from a platform and in other spaces, or will you do it in other places I might put you? But it's the same calling, and God began to birth something in me, and I began to think about the church, and then I began to think about, like, all right, what, what's, what, what do they do next after this? And that's when Venice Church was born, because I thought, okay, what, what happened next? Because obviously on that mountain that day when they got the Great Commission, that wasn't the end of the story. That was, that was just a new chapter in it. I, see, I think they're thinking like, Jesus, take us with you. And just like, no, I'm leaving you here. And there's some of us in church today thinking, Jesus, come back. And he said, no, I'm leaving you there because I got something I want you to do. And even, even when you move into the book of Acts, Luke gives us insight to more of this conversation that occurred on that mountain that day. Because on that mountain, apparently, Jesus didn't just give the Great Commission. Like, he had to calibrate their hearts because they had this longing to, to want to see something other than what Jesus is leading them into happen. They expected this kingdom to rise up, and they thought, you know, we're going we're gonna to be in, in, like, Jesus' new kingdom cabinet. And we're going to have special roles, and we're going to do good things. And so when Luke writes his account of what's happening in the early church, he first takes us back up onto that mountain. It's Acts chapter 1. Look at it with me. Acts chapter 1, beginning with verse 4. It says, while he was with them, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for the Father's promise, which he said, you have heard me speak about. For John baptized you with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit in a few days. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, are you restoring the kingdom to Israel at this time? There it is. They're looking for something other than what Jesus is ushering them into. And he said to them, verse 7, it's not for you to know times or periods that the Father has set by his own authority, so don't worry about it. That reminds me, if Jesus is coming back soon, we should tell them who to live for instead of what to look for. That's a whole, that's a, remind me to preach that sermon. He said to them, it is not for you to know the times and periods that the Father has set by his own authority, but, verse 8, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the very ends of the earth. So you're going to be my witnesses. And I'm going to give you power to accomplish this purpose. That no longer God beside you, but God inside you, the Holy Spirit of God that will empower you with everything necessary to fulfill this calling, this mission I'm putting on your lives. At this point, the people who were sure Jesus was who he said he was was not a huge number. 120 or so, Luke tells us. And it says they went and they all gathered in, in one place. All of them, men, women, everybody. And they began to pray. And what happened next would make a lot of people in this room uncomfortable, but our charismatic brothers and sisters would be super excited because it says the Holy Spirit fell 
And when they did, it said they saw tongues like fire. And all of a sudden, everything began to shake and change and shift. And they began to be empowered. And they stepped into the space. And let me tell you, look at me, look at me. God is so intentional and strategic with the way that he does everything. Because it just so happened at the moment and on the day that the Holy Spirit fell on the followers of Jesus was a moment when people from all over the world had gathered together in pilgrimage in this one place. Because God wanted his church to be for everybody. For every tongue, every nation, every color, every creed, that every single person was supposed to be a part of the body of Christ. And when it is born, it is born in diversity and beauty. And so they start talking, and there's some people thinking, they're drunk. It's literally what the Bible says. And what's funny is Peter says, they're not drunk. It's only 9 o'clock in the morning. Like, if it was 5 o'clock, would we expect something different? <laughs> don't say you don't read the Bible and be like, hmm. But what, what was happening was, listen, the Holy Spirit had empowered them to speak in a way where no matter what language the people nearby spoke, they were able to hear it in their own language. That they start talking about God, start talking about Jesus, start saying these things about about this way, and no matter what language you spoke, and they would say, these men are Galileans. How is it that we hear them in our own native tongue? Because God's working a miracle in order to birth his church in power and wonder. And then Peter stands up, not with eloquence, but with anointing. And as a preacher, I'm reminded, take anointing over eloquence every single time. You can preach the most eloquent sermon on the planet and it not do anything if it is not anointed by the Spirit of God. And he begins to unpack who he knows Jesus to be. He begins to share what he's seen and what he has heard. And he says, listen, this Jesus that you crucified, he is both Lord and Messiah. And something is happening in that space that's so powerful, so wonderful, that the people around them begin to wonder what they're supposed to do in response to what they're hearing. Look at Acts chapter 2, verse 37. It says, when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what should we do? What should we do with what we've just heard? We, we have heard the gospel. We have heard the message of Jesus, and we know we are supposed to respond, that we can't hear this message and not do something with it. Like, we, what, what do we do? And now if that question would have been asked to many of the preachers in my day. It would be like, okay, go to J.C. Penney and buy you a navy blue suit because you're going to need to wear it next time we hang out. And hand, he doesn't hand them this list of rules. He doesn't give them anything that they're, they're not. He just give them, gives them their next step. And it's not that so much didn't need to happen and wasn't going to happen as they walked with Jesus and grew in him. He says, right now, the first thing you need to do is you need to Repent. And I know that's a super churchy word that you've heard, but it, it, it's layered and it's deep. It's, it's a change of mind, a change of heart, a change of values, a shifting, an acknowledgement of sin. It's, it's, it's so deep, this beautiful word, repentance. It's a shifting of everything you are because look at me, when you start to follow Jesus, everything changes in all the best ways. He says, first repent 
then get baptized. And y'all, the Bible says that on that day, they went from 120 to over 3,000. Like that. Just a moment. But what happens next, that's what caught my eye. What happens next? Because as I was sitting there thinking, reading this in 2006, I thought, what happened in here was so powerful that a church so resilient was born that it made it to me. That 2,000 years later, because of what these people did, I know Jesus. Do you realize we, look at me, we all trace our spiritual family tree to that day. Just let that soak in your mind. That what happened on that day is why directly, indirectly, you're in here. That if, you, if we had the opportunity to walk down our spiritual family tree, you go to, to that one that told you about Jesus and that one that told them about Jesus and you keep walking it back, eventually you get into this day to these people, to this moment. Like in the book of Acts, you see this, this expression of church that was so beautiful, so powerful, so resilient, it endured everything that the world and culture tried to throw at it. And because it did, we're here. And I wanted to be a part of a church like that. And what I saw is the church in there looked a lot different than the ones that I've been a part of most of my life. And now listen to me, look at me. I'm not saying it was all bad. It wasn't all bad. I'm grateful for my heritage of growing up in the church. I'm grateful for doing puppets in children's church, even though my mama might have scarred me for life. I'm grateful for revivals when the preacher was screaming at me and I really didn't understand what he was saying sometimes, but I watched people come to know Jesus. Like, I'm, I'm not saying it's all bad. But if we're gonna be the church that endures, we can't be the church that's fighting more over our preferences than people's souls. We can't get so bogged down in social politics in the church that we are so paralyzed we can't even make a good decision on what we're supposed to do next. And what I saw is all the stuff that the churches that most of us have been part of were consumed with, it wasn't even present. And I thought, that's what I want to be a part of. I want to be a part of something like that. That what propelled the church forward, look at me, it was not what they did. It was who they were. Look at me. The way the, the, way the Lord builds the church then is the way the Lord builds the church now. And I'm not saying we don't leverage innovation that we don't use tools. But this church has not seen people saved simply or only because of innovation. The church in the New Testament grew not out of strategy, but because of the Spirit. You get a group of people saturated with the Spirit of God and on fire for Jesus, it'll change a community. And what happens after the day of Pentecost is a prime example of the Spirit with which this church operated that caused it to get to us 
Look at Acts chapter 2. Starting with verse 42. I'm going to read through verse 47. This is, this is in the immediate aftermath of Pentecost. This is what they did. This is what they did. It says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Just let that sit in your mind for a minute. Verse 43, everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and signs were being performed through the apostles. Now all the believers were together and held all things in common. They sold their possessions and property and distributed the proceeds to all as any had need. Every day they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple and broke bread from house to house. They ate their food with joyful and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. Every day the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. That's the verses that got me, y'all. That's the verses that got me. I thought, God, I, I, have, I don't know that I've ever really seen this. There were, there were two things that, that marked the early church, lordship and ownership. The lordship of Jesus Christ. Jesus was Lord over all, Lord over their preferences, Lord over, their, their, Lord, Lord over everything. That when it came down to it, it was about what does Jesus want from me? Not what's comfortable for me, not what I want for me, not what kind. And when, look at me. When Jesus is at the center of everything you are and the focus of all your energy, it's amazing what you will overlook and how much you'll stop complaining. When it's just about Jesus above all else, above any other thing, you find a church that's about Jesus above all else, and you'll find a church that's making a difference in its community. Lordship of Jesus Christ. But then there's this ownership. Not only were they consumed with Christ, they were committed to community. It says they were together. They were connected to one another. They spent time with one another. They were invested in one They didn't see each other just once every seven days. That yeah, they had this moment where they met in the temple courts and the apostles would teach. But then every day they were together. They were connected. They were hanging out. They were paying attention to one another. They were serving one another. They were meeting needs for one another. They were being the church. And it changed everything. That's what I wanted to be a part of. A vintage church. Something that represented the spirit and the attitude of the people in there. And I constantly wonder, God, is that who we are? Is that who we've become? Or have we missed it? When we have 1,200 people that show up this place on the weekend, and only about a fourth of those people show up to anything else, have we missed it? Do we really, are we really connected? Are we really connected to one another and consumed with you? That's funny. You would think 15 years in and with all that we have that I wouldn't worry as much. I worry more now than I ever have. 
in the early days, I wasn't filled with worry. I was consumed with doubt. The day that I was coming up 85 in a U-Haul truck, it was a Monday in June of 2007. Ashley and I had packed everything we owned into that U-Haul, and it wasn't much. She was following behind me in our car, and it was just me and my chocolate lab chipper sitting in the floorboard. He was like, where are we going? I had a lot of doubt then. But then, you know what I thought? It doesn't really matter. If this doesn't work out, it was, nobody's hurt. At that point, it was just me and Ashley. And if it doesn't work out, I'll just go get a job. I had no idea that less than a year later that I'd be holding you and your brother that less than a year from the day I'm coming up 85 in that U-hole, I would hold Aiden and Leah, my twins. Because we had spent three years before that in infertility and miscarriages and all that. And less than a year later, my kids would be the first vintage kids. And it quickly became something really amazing, but something that felt really fragile. Back then, that day in that U-Haul, again, if it didn't work out, it was just me and Ashley. We'd find a way to make it. It was just the two of us. We're only, but now I stand up here and I look back there and I see Dustin Lore. In 2006, when I was in that U-Haul, that dude was probably in diapers. Not quite, but close. And now he's changing them. His own little girl's baby. His own little baby girl's diapers. And I watch him serve our church, and I'm reminded that, like, him feeding that baby is dependent on the paycheck he gets here, and so I can't mess this up. And I think about 10 years before I was in that U-Haul, Nobody would have ever thought that the gifts that God's put in you could actually be used to serve the local church. And now I see all the amazing things that because of what God has put in you has made us better. There's people watching online because of Storm Curry, who was even younger than Dustin when we started this and could be right now working for ESPN or Fox. Instead, he's here making a lot less money but serving Jesus and taking this message to people that are watching online. And people that were strangers when I was in that U-Haul are now like family. And our kids are growing up together. And God is doing amazing things. He's writing a story. All because people have said yes to inspiring people to live and love like Jesus. The way, the pathway forward is through the past. If 15 years from now, we're going to still be here, it will be because we became a group of people consumed with Jesus and committed to each other so that we could be a light in the community in which he put us.
So God, I pray that today as we finish our time just giving you praise, that it is praising you for what was, what is, and for what can be. God, I thank you for every person that's said yes to inspire people to live and love like Jesus, that it has been more than just some words on a wall or the mantra of an organization, but it is the mission of every individual who knows and follows and claims you. And God, I pray that you would help us to live under the lordship of Jesus Christ because he alone is Lord that you would help us to be more consumed with him than ever before. And that, God, you would increase our commitment to each other. That we would get to the place where we don't always look around and see nothing but strangers, but we see friends, and eventually those friends become like family. And I thank you for the generation of new followers that you've raised up and that are going to do amazing things through this church for your glory. So, God, now whatever you want to do in our hearts before we get out of here. Help us to let you do it. In Jesus' name we pray. Thanks for listening to the Venice Church Podcast. We hope what you have just heard has inspired you to live and love like Jesus. If you'd like to know more about Venice Church or to get further connected, we invite you to visit us at our website at venicechurch.net. We'd also encourage you to download the Vintage app. There you can find more resources about how to get involved and grow in your faith. You can access the Vintage Church app by going to app.vintagechurch.net. Thank you so much for allowing us to be a part of your spiritual journey, and we hope to see you soon.